Well, my answer to the 30-second question is uh, something that happened on Monday. Um, I get the great privilege of leading missions at my uh, school that I serve at and, and work at. And so we were in Mexico on Monday. And uh, four hours from my house, you know, just down over the border in Ensenada. And we were rolling around, scouting out a site for a future, hopefully, future missions trip uh, that we're going to take our high school on. And w this kind of happened as it does. Just we didn't know it was going to happen, right? It was just this thing they added on last minute. And so we roll up to this woman's house in this dirt road and kind of winding around. We just happen upon this woman's house. And they've, uh, the organization we're partnering with is YWAM. And so uh, they, they said, yeah, this, this lady's great. you got to hear her stories. So we get out of the van and walk in. We walk up, and there's four tables end-to-end, -end, kids, you know, there eating and uh, just smiling. And uh, through broken uh, English and Spanish and a translator, uh, she tells us the story of how she just felt compelled one day to open her home to kids who were hungry, hurting, you know, lonely, uh, in bad family situations. And so God just felt like you know, or she just felt like God put that on her heart, and so she just, one at a time, just started inviting kids in for a meal, and it became a soup kitchen. Years later, it became a place where kids were going to sleep because it's not safe to go home or whatever, and now she has seven kids who she's in the process of adopting and are living with her. She showed us a picture of the, the previous day where she had 50, over 50 kids lined up at these tables eating uh, a meal, and, and it just was so cool. So here's my, my mountaintop experience. You know, I feel like if God leads you places around the world, I feel like if you look closely, if you look for the right things, you will find people loving others everywhere you go. You know, and maybe it's not on TV or never catches our attention on social media or whatever, but, man, God's people are so faithful, and he is so good to provide and, and to protect and show up. So that was just a wonderful experience, and uh, I'll touch back on that in a minute. Uh, but, man, God is so good. He encourages us watching what other people do when they're faithful to the Lord. Anyway, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Eric, and I'm so excited to uh, be uh, speaking today. You know, the weeks that you speak and the weeks that you serve, it's funny that God just seems to fill up your cup, even though you're kind of pouring it out with whatever you're doing. And so I feel this filled up this week, and it's wonderful. We're going to continue our series called Greatest Hits. And this is really just a flyover perspective of the big stories in Scripture. And what we want you to do is not just know the stories, What's on my heart today is we want you to, of course, know what Scripture says, but more importantly, we want you to know how to live out these big stories, these greatest hits in Scripture. And so today, I want us to be in the shoes of the disciple Peter, the disciple Peter. And I want to tell you about his mountaintop experience. So we have this wonderful story in all three synoptic Gospels, the ones that are written uh, more similarly to each other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we have this story, and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't, maybe you've heard it, and you're like, I have no idea what to do with that. But it's called the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? And I felt like God put this on my heart pretty early on. Now, if you're like, what exactly? This is one of the big stories in Scripture that I think sometimes uh, we forget to like cover or we forget to, to focus on. So what I did today is I went old school and I brought my paper Bible because to really understand this story, you have to see it in context. So it's nice to just lay it out and see what else happens before the story and after. So if you have your Bible app, here's what I recommend. Uh, you can just open up to Mark chapter 8 and just kind of leave it open. If you have your paper Bible or if you're watching at home or something like that, just lay it open and we're going to work through this. 
So here's what I see in Mark chapter 8. We're not going to go all the way back to the beginning, but let me give you a little bit of a setup. Is What I see starting in, in chapter 8 is the disciples following Jesus experience really extreme mountaintop highs and extreme valley lows. And what, what's going to happen here is you're going to see they're just going to go from up to down, from up to down, from up to down. And so that's kind of where the story starts. Mark chapter 8. The story starts for today where the, this crowd is following Jesus. It's recorded as 4,000 people. We think that was just meant 4,000 men, so maybe more like eight or 10,000 people there. And the disciples know that they're like caring for them, and Jesus is teaching. It gets to the end of the day, and the people are hungry. And so the disciples look around, and there's nothing around. There's no like Taco Bell or Arby's or In-N-Out or whatever. And so they're like, send them home because we can't afford to feed 4,000 people. We can't afford to feed this crowd. And Jesus says something crazy here. He says, hey, how many loaves do you have? And I can imagine them looking around like, you know, loaves for, for them were pretty small. And they're like, and so it says it records them saying, well, Lord, we have seven. He's like, okay. And he breaks the bread and he blesses it and he gives thanks for it. And he just starts handing it out. And all of a sudden, they realize that, All 4,000 at least, all 8,000, all 10,000 people eat and are fed from these seven loaves. And I can imagine being like Peter or being a disciple and watching this happen and going from just like a bag of rolls to feeding a crowd and thinking, oh my gosh, like I've never seen anything like this. I've never experienced a miracle like this. And just seeing how much it changed And then we see that from that mountaintop high to the valley low, the next thing in verse 11, chapter 8, it it says that the Pharisees came and asked him, demanded a sign. And I can imagine being Peter and being like, dude, he just fed like 10,000 people with seven loaves of bread, and now you're here asking for a sign, and we go from this mountaintop high to this valley low. And Jesus ultimately answers the Pharisees, I'm not going to give you a sign. Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And you can imagine just like walking away from this awesome crowd and party to like these guys, just like, come on, man. You guys ever had that? Where it's like this amazing moment and somebody just swings in. (sighs) Mountaintop high to valley low. Next Uh, Verse 14, it says more of the the yeast of the Pharisees. It's like their perspective. It's their attitude. It's their posture in life, how they seem to be more prideful than anything. And he kind of debriefs what seven meant, and you can read that. But then back to the mountain high, verse uh, 22, they come to Bethsaida, and people are there, and it seems like another miracle story. Jesus heals this blind man. And you can see him there. It's kind of like he has the Pharisees in mind that maybe they've created all these restrictions, but he doesn't care about their rules. You know who he cares about is his people, and he heals this guy. And this blind man who was once blind now sees, and the first thing he sees, I love this, is Jesus. So cool. Now, remember, we're going to go through the the perspective of Peter here. And imagine this guy who I think gets thrown under the bus a little bit. I think sometimes he deserves it. But I think more often than not, he speaks for the group. You know that friend that always says the thing that everybody's thinking anyway? And they're like, oh, you shouldn't have said that even though we were all thinking it. I think that's Peter. You know, this this is Peter. 
Verse 27, we're going to slow down and read this one. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, I love this question, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? That question is still asked today. It's still relevant today. And they answered, John the Baptist. At this point, John the Baptist was either in prison or he had been put to death. And said, and, and, and others, uh, Elijah and, and still others, some, one of the prophets, meaning they don't really know. They know something's going on. And he, but he asked them, but who do you say I am? And I love this. Again, we don't know if Peter is speaking for himself or for the group, but it's recorded. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. You know, uh, those of you who are teachers or who lead Bible studies or who instruct or train, you know that moment that like the person you're training or you're one of your students has like, they, they like say a thing that's so insightful and you're just blown away. You're like, dang. Venus was telling me that she was leading the, the high school group and, and, and she was teaching through a parable and she like opened it up for the high schoolers to, 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 to say what they saw in the scripture and she was just blown away at the insight that these 16-year-olds had about scripture. The Holy Spirit moves, right? And I can imagine this being the moment that the, the, the disciples are like, dang, no way. And Jesus didn't like correct him. And this is a major moment, I think, for Peter. He speaks for the group or for himself, this declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. This is the King. He's the one that is to come. Like, no way. Mountain high, valley low, back up to the top. Like, let's go. Now, I can imagine the tradition tells us that Mark was Peter's, like, scribe. He was the one that was writing down all the things that Peter experienced. Mark kind of inserts himself in a detail in another part of the story. So we know that Mark and Peter are connected in other ways. And I can imagine them like sitting together, like writing the story, like writing it down. And Mark's like, dang, Peter, like, no way. Like, you said that? He's like, yeah, dude, put it in there. Like, I want it in the Bible. Like, write down that I said that, you know? I want credit. Like, Peter said, you are the Messiah. And he's like, that's so good. That's so good. (laughs) Dang, right? And then we get to verse 31. And if you're following along, I really want want you to, to, to focus on this one. This is the next part of the story. Verse 31. Then he began, meaning Jesus, to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He he said all of this quite openly. Now imagine Mark writing this down, and he's like, wait, he said that? Like after the Messiah comment? See, because, well, let's go on. And then Peter took him aside, like Jesus, whoa, 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 step off stage. Let me talk to you real quick. He says this. He began rebuking Jesus. But turning and looking at his disciples, so Peter pulls him aside. Disciples are there. Jesus is like, hey, guys, listen, 
announcement time. I have an announcement. Get your phones ready. I want you, I want you to film this, right? He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Now, remember, Mark is written at least three decades after this happened. So I can imagine Peter sitting with Mark and Mark's like writing it down. He's like, do do you want me to include the Satan part? Like, get behind me. You could just end it there. And I can imagine Peter saying, I want it in there. I want it in there. It's important for us to know, it's important for us to know that anything that's not with Jesus, it seems like is against him. Right? I don't think he's calling him a a title here as much as he's identifying that, like, that perspective belongs to the enemy. You know? He says, You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And now, this is is the moment, I think, I think, this is the moment that for kind of the first time, now remember, valley high, or valley low to mountain high, back and forth, back and forth. I think this is the first time where the disciples are reconsidering their commitment to Jesus, to following him. See, because in those days, messiahs, they don't lose. Kings, they don't lose. Saviors, they don't die. Sons of God, they don't lose. They don't die. They don't let other people put them to death. Death death is the end of the story. And I can imagine for the first time, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you ever had that moment? Be honest. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. When you feel like, you know what? I'm just, like, I'm done. I'm done. You know, this uh, thing that I expected to happen that has happened for that other person and I feel like happens to everybody and it doesn't happen for me, like, I'm, I'm just done. Or this area of your life that you feel like temptation just keeps winning and you're like, I'm done trying. How can I continue to love this person when they're not giving it back? Like, I'm just done. You know, my commitment to your way, Jesus, to your lifestyle, to what you call me to, like, I just, I don't know. Like, messiahs don't lose, you know? And I think for the, for, for, it doesn't say how much time passes between this and what's actually coming next is the story, the Mount of Transfiguration. But I remember uh, standing with Myrna on, um, in Mexico on Monday and, and her telling me that, uh, telling us that, um, you know, God's commitment for her to open up her house, which has birthed this amazing ministry and stuff like her husband, like he wasn't about it. And so he left her and he split. And she had that moment where she was like, God, what? Like, I'm out. And she felt just this call to stick with it, just to stick with it, like regardless of what's happening, just to stick with it. And so much fruit has come from that. See, what I don't see, what I don't see in Jesus's response here is a guy that stands up and says, you know what, guys, you can believe it if you want to. Doesn't matter to me. Anybody wants to come with me? Let's go. If not, 
See, what happens next, if you go to, uh, go to chapter 9 now, verse 2, what happens next is what we call this Mount of Transfiguration. This Transfiguration. What, we, what happens, what I see is Jesus is passionate about Peter and the other disciples believing in him. I think this is a strategic answer to him looking around the disciples, knowing that they're like on the verge of being done. Because Messiahs don't lose. And this is his answer. Let's read it. Mark 9, verse 2. Six days later, so a week almost passes, and Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain apart. Here comes the big mountaintop experience by themselves. It was just them three and Jesus. And he was, meaning Jesus, he was transfigured before them. Now, Greek, there's no Greek word for this. They're, this is like almost an exact uh, uh, interpretation here. Like They're like, you know, something happened. <laughs> Let's make up a word for it. He changed his figure. I don't know. He transfigured. There you go. That sounds better. He changed. Something happened. We can't. And here's them trying to explain it. He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white. This is how other gospel accounts describe heavenly beings, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. Moses represents the law, like the the relationships, the covenant, the way that God commits to his people. And, And Elijah, the prophets, the way that God divinely intervenes, and he guides, and he corrects. And then Jesus, as if he fulfills all of this together. And they were talking with Jesus. And I can imagine them, Peter especially, just, dude, I I was about to quit. And now I'm seeing this, like, what? And then Peter said to Jesus, have you ever said the thing and, like, as it leaves your mouth, you, like, try to grab it and stick it back in? You know, I think this is like that moment. Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I can imagine, like, Elijah or whatever, like, rolling his eyes, like, bro, we live in heaven now. Like, don't need a tent, you know. But haven't you ever wanted to just grab on to that mountaintop experience and just, like, camp there? Just, like, stay there? I love those. I love those. Just, you, you, the, the, the special moment that you realize, this is a special moment. I wish I could, like, capture it. I can imagine Peter with just good intentions saying, like, I get it. I get it now. I get it. You know what? Let's not go back to the valley lows. Let's stay here. Let's make some tents and some dwellings. The word is tabernacle, which I think is interesting. I love it. Verse 6, he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Yeah. Then... (laughs) obviously then a cloud overshadowed them and here's the point and from the cloud there came a voice as if god the father once again speaks so that other people hear he says god says this is my son the beloved listen to him as if they ever had a doubt who this guy was god himself speaks up and says he is who he says he is He is who he says he is. And I love the insight here. It's not like, hey, guys, believe in him. Believe in him. It's not even follow him. What does it say? It says listen to him. You want to know why? Because you always 
live out the beliefs, the beliefs that you care about most. You always do. And if you demonstrate that you're ready to listen and obey Jesus, man, you believe in him. You don't even have to work at that. Do what he says to do. And I'll tell you, your belief will, will follow. And then suddenly they looked around and the story ends and no one was with them anymore. See, I believe that God is still passionate that we believe. So what's the message for today? I believe that, that, that from the early uh, stages of creating this, this message I was very clear that there's somebody in this room or listening online or is listening weeks later, there's somebody who has experienced these high highs and low lows and is on the fence. Like, I don't know. They've experienced some opposition or some things didn't work out, and they are considering just kind of being done with this, this whole Jesus thing. And today my message is pretty simple. I believe it's straight from God to you that he wants me to say, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Jesus wants you to believe. He wants you to carry on. He wants you to listen and obey. I believe he's still passionate that we have reasons to believe he is who he says he is. He says to listen. That means to obey as well. If you haven't obeyed Jesus in a while and you've kind of lost sight of what it means to believe and trust, try it. Try it. He'll meet you where you're at. And you know, if you haven't heard this in a while, I think this is not about us falling in line with religion. Uh, I don't think that's his agenda here. I think it's all about value. And if you haven't heard it said in a while, I mean it from the bottom of my heart, is that I think God wants me to remind you today how valuable you are from, uh, from, an, uh, from a fingerprint that's unique to everyone on the planet, to DNA, to a spiritual gift mix, to a a specific personality. God only created one of you, and you are valuable. And this whole thing about following Jesus is about relationship. This whole thing about telling others about Jesus, it's about relationship. We're not here to build voice. We're here to build the kingdom. It's about God getting his kids back. And so it's all about value. And so today, if you're on the fence, don't quit. Don't quit. To those of you who feel alone, Matthew 28, 20 says this. Jesus says, and be sure of this, like so sure of this. Here it is, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus promises, promises that he is with you to the end. If you're stuck in a loop of of sin and temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, and I'll just read it off the screen if we could get it up there. I'm going to try to read it in two different translations. Do we have that? Uh, I'll read it this way. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you the way out so that you can endure. If you're locked in a sin cycle, pray and ask God, where's the exit? Where's the way out? All right, let's close with this. Peter, right? We're from the perspective of Peter today. He writes a couple letters later that we have in the the second part of the New Testament, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and on. He reminisces about this Mount of Transfiguration story. I love that. 
he reminisces. Like, this is what he says. He says, for we were not making up clever stories, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven. We were still with him on the holy mountain. This story still encourages Peter decades later. It's still the reason, I think, one of the reasons why he continues to pursue. We know that Peter later in his life is martyred. And I love that this story, this Mount of Transfiguration, is there for one reason. It's to convince and remind Christians to keep going. He can be trusted. He is who he says he is. And then a little bit um, sooner in chapter 1, Peter says this, and I'll close with this. In view of all this, make every effort, this is Peter, to respond to God's promises. And here is this kind of chain of events. Here's what happens if we don't quit. Here's the the game plan in Peter's mind for the Christian life, for us going forward. He says, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. What's he saying? Guys, just commit to doing the right thing. Even if somebody notices or not. Even if it's convenient or not. Just do the right thing. And then with moral excellence, with knowledge. And it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about learning what the right thing is and why. We're not just robots, right? We want to have relationship with God. Verse 6, and combine that knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. Man, And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And then at the end, what does it all boil down to? What's the point of all of this stuff? Is brotherly affection with love for everyone. See, I've been walking with God a a little while now. I spend a lot of time uh, studying scripture. I've had a lot of Christian experiences. Good, bad, challenging. And all of those things are valuable if it leads me to becoming more loving. See, if I can explain verses and tell you what it says in Hebrew and I can't love my neighbor, it's not as valuable as it could be or as it should be. So here's, here's where I'm, I'm going to end. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. Voice Church, don't quit loving people. Don't quit. Don't quit loving people. Don't quit becoming more and more self-controlled. Don't quit being generous. Don't quit learning more about Jesus. Don't quit because I think what, ha- what we have waiting for us is makes all of it worth it. We have more to look forward to in our future as Christians than we have to look back on. The best is yet to come. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray for, um, pray for you guys specifically, and then uh, let's sing a song to respond. So if you could stand with me and let's pray. God, <clears throat> for those of us in this room that needed to hear the message, don't quit, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and strengthen them, 
that they would be encouraged, that they would have new courage, that they would have the ability to look at challenges and no longer say that is something that's going to prevent my faith, but now that person, that thing is standing in the way of my faith. And man, we know how God deals with giants. We know how God deals with enemies and with walls. Man, they just don't last long when he's around. So for people who need more courage, I pray for that. For people who feel alone and just have lost connection with others and with you, I pray that they would hold tight to Jesus' promise that he is never, never going to leave us. And sometimes we can convince ourselves that he's not close. And what it really just means is we've stopped listening. So I pray that we would start listening. God, that through your grace, you would just... Remind us, just again and again and again, remind us how close you are. Holy Spirit, that's your job, and we ask you to do that. And then, Lord, for those of us who are stuck in a cycle of sin and temptation, and it's kind of locking us in this prison, so to speak, I pray that we would, uh, those kind of chains would break in the name of Jesus. I pray that we would see the way out of that loop that God provides And that, God, we would understand how deep, how deep your forgiveness is. As was read this morning, that nothing separates us from your love. Nothing. Nothing. So, God, I pray today for anybody who wants to get closer to you, that uh, you would just meet us there and show us the path. As we sing, may it be a prayer. If we just need to kind of sit and listen and have that sung over us, that we would. But ultimately, God, at the end of the day, I pray that we feel your love now, right now in the moment. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen.